Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. In Luke. You know, we've all heard these interesting stories of buried treasures. Whether it's the Pirates of the Caribbean movies from Disney and other famous adventures where people seek after gold and priceless jewels, there's this kind of fascination that people have with finding buried treasures. Whether it's the fabled city of El Dorado, the lost city of gold, Sir Walter Raleigh took two famous expeditions in the 1500s in modern-day Brazil and Colombia and Venezuela looking for this buried city, El Dorado. Or even here in America, in Phoenix, by the Superstition Mountains near Phoenix, there's America's most famous buried treasure. I don't know if you know what that's called. It's called the Lost Dutchman's Mine, looking for this buried treasure. Or the greatest buried treasure of all, Maybe some of you have been searching for the Knights Templar treasure. But I bet you none of you here have heard of Terry Herbert. Anybody here heard of Terry Herbert? And his great find. He's so famous. Well, he's an amateur treasure hunter. And he was out in Staffordshire, England. And he had his metal detector and he was out there, you know, on a farmland. And and his metal detector began to ping. And so he spent five days unearthing these buried treasures and basically 1500 articles of military material came up from the ground and it was a lot of things in gold and silver and they basically determined that these were weapons used in the 1800s that the british buried when they were being invaded by the vikings and so today this hoard that he discovered this buried treasure is on display in the Birmingham Museum, and it's around $4 million. Now, who would have thought you'd go out there with a metal detector and come up with a $4 million buried treasure? So we like things that are buried, buried treasures. Now, why am I bringing up buried treasures this morning? Well, we're going to talk about the greatest treasure. And he was buried, but he rose again. We're talking about the burial of Jesus this morning. So... I want you to remember back in 1986. You remember Geraldo Rivera, his two-hour live TV show where we're going to find out the treasure from Al Capone's vault. And everybody watched and there was nothing there in Al Capone's vault. It it came up empty. Well, we're going to look this morning at something that doesn't come up empty. We're going to look at the greatest burial of all time, the burial of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Luke, so we're going to retrace our steps a little bit. So I want to ask you to to backtrack to where we were before Christmas. I know that was a long time ago, back when there was, you could see the grass on the ground, I think is the last time I preached Luke. Luke, let's start out in verse 44. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this was this man was innocent. And all the crowds that assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. If you remember the three miracles at the cross, number one, there was darkness over the land, symbolizing Jesus undergoing the wrath of God for our sin. Number two, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that we now have direct access to the Father. And then Jesus cried out at his finish and committed his spirit to the Lord and literally died. So that's where we left off in Luke with Jesus dying on the cross, breathing his last and committing his soul to the Lord. And so now we come to his burial. And so let me just ask a question. What's the significance of the burial of Christ? You know, we often talk about the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the second coming of Christ. But when do we often talk about the burial of Christ? Well, let's talk about that this morning. Let's focus on the burial of Jesus. So let's keep reading this morning. We'll pick up in verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So I want to tackle this passage this morning from two different vantage points. First, I want us to see the theological implications of the burial. Just what's the theology behind it, the significance. And then second, what's the practical applications? So what does it mean for us practically? So let's first look at the theological implications. And we do see three truths here. First, Jesus' burial was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, how do you know it's a fulfillment of prophecy? Well, you go 700 years earlier to the book of Isaiah, that famous passage, Isaiah 53, that's all about Jesus and the cross. Listen to what Isaiah wrote 700 years before the death of Christ. Isaiah 53, 9. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. They made his grave with the rich man. This is none other than Joseph of Arimathea. It's a prophecy that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Some 700 years before it happened, Isaiah prophesied this, that Jesus would be the innocent, sinless Son of God. And Matthew's Gospel tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. Matthew 27, 57, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. So it's a fulfillment of prophecy, number one. But number two, the significance, and this may sound like pretty obvious, but I think it's important. Jesus' burial proved that he literally died on the cross, that it was a literal death on the cross. 
Now, John's gospel gives us a little bit more information than Luke's gospel does. So John 19, 31 through 34 says this. It was the day of preparation, and so that bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead... They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood and water came out. Now, there's a lot of theories as to far as what happened. Did they actually puncture Jesus' heart and blood and water came out? Was there a buildup of fluid where blood and water came out? We really don't know. There's not a lot of medical information in the Scriptures, but it's John's way of showing us that the blood and the water coming out together, there's something more significant than just blood and water coming out. It's a symbolism of, of cleansing. Cleansing by the blood of Christ. We see this in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood and water. It's that old song, Rock of Ages, that hymn. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. So Jesus gave up his life. He was pierced with the sword. Blood and water gushed out. He literally died. Now, when Jesus died, his soul immediately went to be with the Father in heaven. Now, how do you know that, Pastor Sean? Well, just look back what we looked at in the Gospel of Luke. Go back to verse 43. What did Jesus say to the thief that trusted in him? Truly I say to you, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. So when Jesus died that day, he went to heaven. His soul went to heaven. And we also know from verse 46 that he committed his hands into the Father's, he committed his spirit into the Father's hands. His soul went to be immediately with the Father in heaven. And this is what happens to you when you're a Christian and when you die. When you die as a Christian, your soul goes immediately to be with the Father in heaven. Now your body, whether it's buried or cremated, remains here on earth, but your soul goes immediately to be with Jesus. And then obviously there's the final resurrection where your body and soul come together at that final day. But there's a liberal heresy out there. Now I know you don't buy this, but some people buy this. That Jesus didn't literally die. He swooned swooned okay what is swooning swooning means that he fainted and he was unconscious for a little while so he you know he had the crown of thorns and he had the the cat of nine tails on his back and he had the 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 you know nails in his hands and feet and he had a spear in his side and and he just kind of fainted for a little while yeah right my dad used to say there's a greek word for that it's called baloney okay He literally died. And if he had not literally died, he could not literally be put in a grave and he could not literally rise again. Listen to what J.C. Ryle has said. He said, The great sacrifice was really offered. The life of the Lamb was actually taken away. The penalty due to sin had actually been discharged by our divine substitute. Sinners believing in Jesus may hope and not be afraid. In themselves they are guilty, but Christ has died for the ungodly and their debt is now completely paid. He literally died. 
and he was literally put into a tomb. But here's the third theological implication of the burial. Third, Jesus' burial is crucial to the message of the gospel. What does 1 Corinthians tell us? 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also delivered. Okay, this is first importance, Paul. What's he saying? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice that Paul includes the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So he puts the burial in there as of first importance, the message of the Gospel. So the burial is crucial to the Gospel message. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's also what Paul preached when he would go into cities, when he goes into Pisidia of Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, he's preaching in the synagogue. And notice what Paul includes in his sermon in Acts 13, 29 through 30. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Paul includes laying him in the tomb. So the burial of Jesus is central to the gospel, but it's also included in some of the earliest Christian creeds and confessions. What does the Apostles' Creed say? The first Christian creed. I believe that Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The Nicene Creed says the same thing. He was buried. So, there are some theological implications for the burial of Christ. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It proved that He literally died on the cross, bearing our sin and shame. And number three, it's crucial to the message of the gospel, the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now let's explore the practical application. Let's, let's look at this text. And I want you to see a great irony in this text. And, and maybe it just kind of just jumped up off the page to you. Who is not listed at the burial? Do you see John, Matthew, Peter, James? Do you see any of the 11 disciples at the burial? No. Where are the disciples well peter has gone out and wept bitterly the disciples have fled they are hiding out but there are two groups of people or two people or one person in another group that are at the burial it's so ironic it's a man named joseph of arimathea that we've never heard of before he just kind of pops up on the scene never mentioned before but here he just pops up on the scene and then you have these women the irony is where are the disciples why aren't they at the burial Why aren't his followers there taking care of Jesus' body? So let's talk about these people. Let's first talk about Joseph of Arimathea. What do we know about Joseph of Arimathea? Well, all four Gospels mention him. We know he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a member of the ruling class. We know he's wealthy. We know that he um, is a righteous man. But I I want you to notice a a detail here that, that Luke gives us. It says there, In verse 51, he did not consent to their decision and action. He he, he was not in agreement with what they did to turn Jesus over to Pilate. So he's a rich man. He's part of the ruling Sanhedrin. He's a disciple of Jesus. He just kind of pops up on the scene here. We've never heard of him before until like right now in all four Gospels. But I want you to notice two things about Joseph of Arimathea. They're, they're, They're clues in the text that Luke gives us. Number one, He was looking for the kingdom of God. Notice that detail that Luke gives us. It says there in verse 51, who had not consented to their decision and action, he was looking 
for the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean that he was looking for the kingdom of God? Now, this is how the book of Luke started. Almost three years ago when we started this, Simeon and Anna were looking for the kingdom of God. Now, Luke words it a little bit differently, so let's think about Simeon. In Luke 2.25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was waiting for his Messiah. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He was waiting for Jesus. He was looking for his Messiah. Waiting. Anna. What does it say of her? Luke 2.38. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She's waiting for her Messiah too. So, At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, you have these two righteous people that are waiting for the Messiah. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, you have this righteous man who's waiting or looking for the kingdom. And what it means is this. He is looking for his Messiah. And he found him. He found Jesus. He became a follower of Christ. He trusted in Jesus as his Messiah. He is placing his faith in the King. Now here's the question for you. Are you looking for the kingdom of God? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you looking for the king who's coming? Or, I'm afraid what many of us do, are you trying to be the king or queen of your own life? I'm in charge. I'm not looking for the kingdom. I'm looking for me. (laughs) I'm looking out for me. Are you looking for the kingdom? In other words, are you submitting to the king? Jesus, or are you just kind of making up the rules and living your own life however you want? Are you trusting in the king of the kingdom the way Joseph of Arimathea was doing? But here's the second thing we see about Joseph. He displayed great courage. And you say, well, how did he display great courage? Well, he took a huge risk. He took a huge risk because he went against the crowd. He went against his fellow Sanhedrin, but he also went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That was a big risk to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Normally after a crucifixion, they would just leave bodies hanging on the cross where they would rot and be eaten by vultures. But the Jewish people did not like that because according to Jewish law, really, according to the Old Testament, a dead body had to be taken down before Sabbath. And so what they would often do to hasten the death, the Roman soldiers would come by and they would smash the legs of the person with the iron mallet. But Jesus had already been dead. And so Joseph of Arimathea is very concerned that Jesus would be hanging on the cross and it would be coming Sabbath and it would be breaking the, 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 the Old Testament law. So he goes to Pilate. We know from Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. A person hanging on the cross overnight, especially on Sabbath, a special Sabbath with Passover, would be an atrocity. So Joseph says we've got to get Jesus off the cross. We can't let him hang there to be eaten by vultures. He needs to be buried. Psalm 34, 19-20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Again, that's a fulfillment of prophecy, that his bones were not broken. Now, what would it have cost Joseph to bury Jesus? Well, number one, it's going to cost him money, but that's not a big deal because he's a rich man. What it's really going to cost Joseph is his reputation and maybe even his job. He goes against the other ruling authorities. He takes a risk and goes before Pilate. He risks everything to bury Jesus, no matter what the cost. He's going to risk it. He openly disagreed with his fellow leaders. Now, Joseph could have gone along his merry way. He could have just basically done everything secretly. I disagree with him secretly. I don't want to say anything. It's easier just to get along to go along, and I, I don't want to brock the boat. I don't want to go to Pilate. Well, just somebody else can take care of Jesus. But what does he do? His faith is public. He does not shrink back. He goes before Pilate. He asks for the body. He goes against his leaders. He says, listen, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm going to be public about it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to openly disagree, and I'm going to openly go to Pilate no matter what the consequences. He didn't shrink back. So let me ask you the question. Do you shrink back? Do you stay silent? Do you compromise? Let me just say this. It is getting harder and harder to be vocal as Christians. Would you agree with that? We're living in a culture that's hostile. And I'm afraid that too many Christians, and as I prayed earlier, we're getting comfortable being kind of silent. We're like James Bond, James Bourne Christians. We're secret agents that we don't want anybody to know who we are. Hiding in the shadows. Joseph's faith was a public faith. Now, I'm not saying you be a jerk or that you're highly offensive, but what I'm saying is this, is that we cannot be silent. Because let me just say something. If we don't speak, who will? Who's going to speak? Now, you expect me to speak because I'm your pastor. And I've told you I will speak. And if it lands me in jail, so be it. But it can't just be me. We've got to speak the name of Jesus and not be ashamed. Now, I read it earlier. I'm going to read it again from 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We will suffer if we share. If you're ashamed of the gospel, you're not going to suffer. If you're not ashamed of the gospel and you're vocal, you will suffer. And we need to be prepared for that. So Joseph of Arimathea was public. He went against the conventional wisdom of his fellow leaders. He, he went before the authorities. Now again, what's the irony here? Who is being vocal and public about their faith? Who's being bold? Is it Peter? Where's Peter? Is it James and John and Matthew? Where are those guys? No, it's a guy we've never heard of before. A rich man named Joseph of Arimathea who stands up and is vocal and is public and is bold. And the disciples are nowhere to be found. They're hiding. They're silent. They're scared. So that's Joseph of Arimathea. He's looking for the kingdom of God. He's trusting in Jesus as his king, and he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's bold as a disciple. Now let's look at the women, these faithful women. Now these women had no financial means to properly take care of Jesus' body. They couldn't afford a tomb. But notice what they do. What does the text tell us? 
In verse 53, when um, Joseph took down the body and wrapped it in a linen shroud, laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid, it was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. And look at verse 55. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They saw the tomb. In the Greek text, that's like looking intently, observing, investigating. They want to know exactly where that tomb was so there would be no mistaking. But we also see two things about these women. Here's the first that we see about these women. They had a reverent compassion towards Jesus. They wanted to take care of his body. They didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't afford the tomb, but they brought the spices and the ointment. And it was an act of reverence, an act of worship, an act of of, of compassion towards Jesus. Matthew Henry has a great quote. He says this about these women. They were led to this not by their curiosity, but by their affection to the Lord Jesus, which was as strong as death and which many waters could not quench. It's this respect. Here's my fear as Christians. We live in a culture that does not respect Jesus at all. How many times a day do you hear the Lord's name taken in vain? You hear Jesus disrespected. There's no affection or love for Christ. There's a curiosity in Jesus. Hey, he's a great teacher. He's a good ethical leader. He's a great guru. I'm curious. You can be curious all day long and not submit to his lordship. There's a lot of curious people that are curious about Jesus, but they're not following him. They're not trusting in him. They're not loving him. Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you told Jesus you loved him? You just love him. Not so you can get anything back because he's given you everything, but just merely because you love him and you want to honor him. These women showed this tender devotion. They wanted to honor the body of Jesus. But here's something else about these women. It's very interesting. They weren't just curious. They wanted to know exactly where the tomb was because we'll find out next week they they go to the right tomb and it's empty. But second, they were obedient to the word of God. You say, well, where do you get that, Pastor Sean? Notice the detail that Luke tells us. Verse 56, they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Now, why does, why does Luke give us this detail? They, they rested on the Sabbath. They had to really kind of hurry up and do this before Sabbath because there wasn't enough time to get it done, and then they had to come back on, on Sunday morning to kind of finish up. But what it tells me about these women is that if there was any time that there was an exception to the fourth commandment to break the Sabbath, it would be right here with Jesus and his body. Hey, we can cut corners. It's Jesus. They don't cut corners because they're faithful to the Word of God. They obeyed the Sabbath. They were faithful to the Scriptures, no matter what the cost. So they tenderly loved Jesus, but they were also faithful to the Scriptures and did not cut corners. And so let me ask you a question. Do you cut corners? Do you do things that are quote-unquote convenient? and not following the word of the Lord. Let me address the women here this morning. Women, are you characterized by these women? Are you a woman that is 
passionate about Jesus and faithful to his word and you don't cut corners because Jesus is your all in all. Does that characterize you? Now here's something unique about these women, okay? So women, this is wonderful news for you if you're a woman here today. There's something unique about these women that nobody else in the Bible can say. These women were the only individuals in the Bible to witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Nobody else was able to do all three but the women. And they were the first at the tomb. The original apostles did not witness all three. These women did. So let's just ask the question, are you like Joseph of Arimathea? Are you bold? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you openly identify with Christ? Are you looking for the kingdom of God and submitting to the king of the kingdom? And then, like these women, are you a godly, faithful, compassionate person that loves Jesus and is submitted to his word no matter what the cost? Okay. Theological implications, practical applications. Now, there's one thing I purposely left out, but I think it's interesting. Think about the birth of Jesus. Okay, kids, let me ask a question. Did Jesus have a dad? Yes, Joseph. But was Jesus born of a virgin? Yes. Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary never had relations with Joseph. Jesus' birth was a virgin birth. Okay, think about Jesus' life. Did Jesus ever sin? No, he was perfect. He was a sinless, spotless son of God. Now, think about Palm Sunday when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. What does Jesus ride into on Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday? Well, if you go back to Luke 19.30, it says, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. A colt that no one had ever sat on. Did you catch the detail that Luke tells us? Jesus is buried in a tomb that no one had ever been laid in. It was a virgin tomb. Pardon the expression. He had a virgin birth. He had a perfect life. He rode on a colt that no one had ridden, and now he's in a tomb that had never had anybody laid in it. It was a special tomb. John tells us this in John 19.41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now what's the significance of it being a new tomb? It was not corrupted. No dead body had ever corrupted that tomb. No rotting flesh had ever been in that tomb. No body had ever decomposed in that tomb. It was a special, new, unique, virgin tomb specifically made for Jesus. Jesus is the unique, one and only Son of God. And what's fitting for Him? A unique, one and only tomb for Him to be laid in. So let me just ask you a question about burial for a moment. Remember a few weeks ago I said, I gave that quote from Charles Spurgeon where he said, it's good to go visit graveyards. Like, good to go walk around a graveyard because it makes, I'm kind of remembering the quote. Spurgeon says something like, it's good to go walk around a graveyard because you get perspective on the reality of life. Every single one of us is going to face death. And the question you've got to ask is, are you ready for that day? Are you nervous about death? 
Are you uncertain about what lies beyond? Do you, do you have the assurance that when you die, you are going to be with Jesus forever? Are you anxious? Well, let me just say this. Today, like Jesus told the thief today, you can have assurance. You can have confidence. You can have the peace to know that if you place your faith in Jesus the way that Joseph of Arimathea did, the way these women did, you will have the hope of eternal life. You will have your sins forgiven. You will have Christ as your Savior. And you will have a home in heaven. You don't have to worry about death in your burial because Jesus went before you. Now, I'm going to get excited here because we have to wait till next week. What happens after the burial? The resurrection. I mean, you can't just like stop here, but I have to. I'm looking at the clock. I, I don't want to stop. He gets buried and like, okay, man, that leaves us hanging. No, we want to get to the resurrection. So yes, we got to wait till next week. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Let's read it again. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, but then he was raised on the third day. Jesus died. He was buried. And sorry, we have to wait till next week. He rose from the grave. But for today, let that sobering reality sink in that the unique and only sinless Son of God who was born of a virgin was placed in a unique one and only tomb fit for a king, proving that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he rose again. As we often sing in Emmanuel, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he what? Carried all my sins away. Rising he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord this morning. Jesus, we are so thankful that you cried out, it is finished. That you literally died the death that we deserve to die. Taking the nails, but even more than the nails, taking the wrath, the punishment, the justice that we deserved. And Lord, I'm so, I'm so intrigued and so excited that you were, you were placed in a tomb that nobody had yet been laid in. Thus proving again that you are sovereign, that you are unique, that you're the one and only sinless son of God, that there's a perfect, in God's sovereignty, a perfect tomb for you to be buried in. And Lord, I'm excited because we have these, these people that show up at the tomb that, that we would not expect. Uh, we, we, we really don't expect Joseph of Arimathea to show up, but Lord, he's got this boldness and he's got this courage and he's, got, he's looking for the kingdom. And Lord, let us be people like that that are, that are bold and courageous. And Lord, these women that had compassion and tenderness and obedience, Lord, I, I pray that the women in this church are that way. They're compassionate and bold and love Jesus and, and follow him.
And so, Lord, thank you that you died and that you buried and took our sins far away. Lord, as we think about this week and we gear up for next week with the resurrection, help us just to kind of be soberly reminded that you did die and were buried. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Three days later, you rose again. And Lord, help our hearts to be ready even for next week to celebrate that. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has not trusted you as Savior and Lord, would today, today be the day that they repent of their sins and they trust in Christ alone for forgiveness and eternal life. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. If you're here today and maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging at your heart or you're not quite sure what, what ha- is happening in your soul and you need to just talk to somebody or you need to pray with somebody or you need encouragement, I am always here after the service. I will be down here at the front. I'm sure others would be down here if you wanted to meet with them as well. But we don't want anybody leaving today without knowing that you're prayed for, that you're cared for, that you're loved. We want to be available to talk with you and pray with you and to encourage you. And so let's all stand together and sing our closing song as we think about the joy of the Lord being our strength and that he was buried for our transgressions and rising again for our, for our sin.